stuff in there, so don't anybody panic. Mm. But I appreciate you. Take your Bibles out this morning. <clears throat> Let's open them together to the uh, 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And while you're doing that, I just want to point out, I actually meant to mention this earlier, but in the bulletin that you were handed, there's a prayer guide for the week of prayer for state missions. And, uh, you know, we uh, give an offering uh, for state missions. We've got missionaries right here in Texas that are planting churches and sharing the gospel all over the state. And we participate with that through our mission offering. And we receive that mission offering in our end gathering uh, once a uh, uh, once a year, towards the end of the year. But, but this week, I want to I ask you to take that prayer, God, and pray for the state of Texas. Beloved, we need Jesus. We need revival right here in our own state. And, uh, and it's not going to come unless we pray it in, all right? So I want to encourage you to be in prayer for our state this week. We've got a guide to pray uh, over. And so uh, you can put that wherever you might uh, spend time with the Lord each day. And let's commit uh, to pray together for our state. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Trying to get this thing out. In, um, in 1883, a fellow by the name of John Payne wrote a little song that you may never have heard the song, but you may have heard parts of it. The title of his song was Home Sweet Home. And uh, the words go like this. Mid pleasures and palaces, though we may roam, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. A charm from the skies seems to hallow us there, which seek through this world is ne'er met elsewhere. Home, home, sweet, sweet home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Now, that last phrase, there's no place like home, you might uh, recognize if you've ever seen Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. She clicked the, uh, uh, her red slippers together, and she ended up back in Kansas, home, <laughs> home sweet home. When I think of home sweet home, I don't necessarily think of Kansas, but I do appreciate the sentiment, and I would agree, and maybe you would too. There's no place like home. Whatever home is or whatever home may be, wherever uh, we may roam, there really is uh, no place like home. And you know, I say that, I'm somebody, I love to travel. I'm always up for a road trip and, uh, uh, you know, whether it's a day or a week or a couple of weeks, next Sunday evening, by the way, I'm going to be getting on a plane and flying over to uh, Africa, to Lesotho, uh, where I'm going to be spending a couple of weeks teaching some pastors over there. And, uh, and I love to go, I really do. But I really love to get home. I mean, uh, where, whether it's a day trip or whether it's a couple of weeks, and I don't like to be gone more than a couple of weeks, whenever I cross that old bridge or I come in and see the Bucky's sign from the north, the thought, I don't know that the thought really goes through my mind, but the feeling is home. And there's no place, as one of the, uh, as one of the children said, her bed is her home. There's no place like sleeping in your own bed. I personally agree with that and believe that. And, uh, and, you know, if you think about it, and maybe you like to travel as well, home is your ultimate destination. You ever realize that? I mean, whenever you go on a trip, where do you end up? Home, right? Even if you're going across country, you're going to end up back home because sooner or later you're going to come back, right? I mean, home 
is your ultimate destination wherever you go and truly is and truly I think you would probably agree with me I guess most people would although some might not that there is no place like home and you know if you think about it one of the biggest problems that we face in our country today and maybe uh, worldwide is something called homelessness people who have no home in fact there are places in this country today in cities in this country that you probably wouldn't want to go to because uh, of the problems that they're having there with with folks that are homeless taking up resident and making it their own because everybody desires a home everybody deserves a home but the question I would ask you this morning as we just think through the word of God together is what is what is home in the book of Hebrews the scripture has been encouraging us to keep our eyes on the prize and the prize is the Lord Jesus Jesus is the prize in fact the writer of Hebrews has gone through kind of a list of things that Jesus is superior of that is when you you know keep your uh keep your eyes on the prize why should I well because he's uh superior to the angels he's superior to the law and Moses and he is our great high priest and um he offers a better covenant and he is the greater sacrifice uh, of that covenant which is the covenant of his blood himself and so what he's been trying to teach us is is that we are on a journey through this world everybody is you're on a journey of life and life is a journey but ultimately for you and me it is a journey of faith and without faith it's impossible to please God and so you're never going to make God happy on your journey unless you journey by faith now what he does here in the 11th chapter of Hebrews is he gives us a uh, a list of examples of men and women who made this journey by faith and they ultimately made it home and so we began with uh uh, with Abel and then Enoch and Noah and then Abraham and Sarah. And what he does here in this 13th chapter is he kind of uh, pauses. There, there's a uh, parenthesis here in which he talks about home. But it begs the question, what exactly is home? This is the question that I ask the kids. What do you, what do you think about when you think of home? Well, it is your ultimate destination, but for a child of God, beloved, listen to me now. For a child of God, where you go after this service is not your ultimate destination. For a person of faith, for a man of faith, or a woman of faith, or a child of God, what does it mean to go home? Well, look here in uh, this, this passage. We're going to begin in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11. He writes, and again, this is a parenthesis. He says, these all died in faith and the these there is the ones he's mentioned uh abel enoch noah abraham and the others he's going to and he's gonna and and by the way i think i mentioned before <coughs> when you think of all these people of faith or these examples of faith the the uh the 11th chapter of hebrews is not finished yet if you're a man or woman of faith then uh uh, then you are journeying by faith and you could be included here. This is not just for those folks, it's for us. And so he says, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things they were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners 
and temporary residence on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. Verse 15, if they were thinking about where they came from, right in there, or the Chaldeans, or Brazoria, or whatever, they would have had op- an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. <clears throat> now, right off the bat, and excuse me, I apologize for this throat. I can't, I don't know what's going on. Right off the bat, I want you to notice what he says up there in the first part of that 13th verse. Look down at it. He says, these all died in faith. Now watch this. They were living by faith. As you live, you live by faith. These not only lived by faith, but they died in faith. And they, had already, they were already dead. These folks he's speaking about, obviously, lived by faith, died in faith. Now look, their journey was by faith. And one of the things I've been trying to teach us all is that we are all on this faith journey. Life is a journey, and you've got to go by faith. But not only did they journey by faith, they died in faith. Now, beloved, one thing I think that is very, very important for all of us to understand, and if you've, if you've been to a, a funeral that I've preached, you've heard me say this. I'll just go ahead and say it again. The death rate is 100%. Everybody that's living right now is going to die. You're going to die. One day, doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter what kind of house you have or anything else you have, all of us, one day, sooner or later, for some of us sooner, for others, maybe it's going to be later. But one day, our family will gather around, they'll have a casket or an urn or whatever, and they'll say, my, doesn't he look good or didn't he, wasn't he a good fellow or wasn't she fine or whatever it was. And then they're going to return your ashes to the dust from which you were created. The death rate is 100%. Question is this, how are you going to die? If you're going to live by faith, question is, are you going to die in faith? And what that means is, is that you're going to have to continue to the very end in faith. You know, the Apostle Paul (coughs) wrote his his swan song was uh, the book of 2 Timothy very last things that he wrote, and in, that, in the very last chapter, in verse 7 of 2 Timothy 4, he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and then look, he says, I've kept the faith. In other words, he said, this world in which I live in, and this, this life of mine, it was like a fight. I had to struggle, I had to fight just to live. And it's like a race. And what happens in a race? You have to keep going or you're not going to finish. And then he says... I've kept the faith. So his, his fight, his uh, journey, it was all by faith. And he kept it to the very end, he said. And this is a, vi- a vital thing, beloved. Listen, because we're all going to, to die. We're all living right now. Some of us might be a little questionable, but all of us are living right now. 
and we're all going to die. And the question is, how am I going to die? Am I going to take it? Am I going to take my faith all the way to the end, or somehow, some way along the way, am I going to drop out, give it up, whatever? I can't make it. I'm going to quit. The question every child of God is going to face is, am I going to make it home? The only way you're going to make it home is by faith. You got to live in faith, or live by faith, die in faith. That's what he's talking about, these people. Now, I want to I talk to you about that home for just a second now. What exactly is it? If you're going to make it home by faith, what does that home look like? And that's, that's really what he comes to right now. I want to give you three things under this heading or under this title, Heading for Home. All right? Here we go. Here's number one. Listen to me. This world is not your home. This world in which we live in, this world right now, is not your home. I almost wrote, I was going to put up there, this world is not your permanent home. But I didn't even want, I didn't want anybody to think that, um, let me see if I can fix this a little bit better. I didn't want anybody to think that just by saying permanent home, that maybe uh, we could even call it temporary home. It really is not. This world in which we live is not even your temporary home. I want you to look, at, look down at this passage. He says down in verse 13 that these who died in faith, and they died in faith because they hadn't received what God had promised yet. Now, when you're walking by faith, you're walking with your eyes on the prize, and the promises of God are so vital and real to you, you haven't received them yet, but you're going to. You know you are, and this is, this is an act, activity of your faith. He says, these had not received the promise yet. He said, they saw him from a distance, because remember, faith is seeing that which is unseen, right? And so they saw them from a distance. They greeted them, but watch this. It says in the last part of verse uh, 13, they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, the one he's truly talking about here is the fellow by the name of Abraham, and you remember the story of Abraham. Abraham uh, left this big city. It's called Ur of the Chaldeans. And um, he began to walk with God. God said, I want you to walk with me. And so he started walking with God. He ended up in a place called Canaan or the land of Canaan. And God said, I'm going to give you uh, all this land. But all that time he lived there, he didn't, uh, he didn't own any of the property. God said, I'm giving this to you. He didn't own any of the land. When he was uh, about 137 years old, his wife Sarah died. And when she died, he didn't even have a place to bury her. <clears throat> and so he bought some land from some folks. He went to them. And uh, in Genesis chapter 23, you can read all about this. But in verse 4, he says to them, I'm an alien residing among you. He uses the exact words that uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, says here. I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a foreigner. I don't belong here. I'm just passing through. I don't even have any land. I don't have a permanent home. At this point, he was living in tents. But watch this. When, when Abraham said that, when he said, I'm just, a, I'm just a temporary resident here, he had lived there for 60 years. He had lived in the land of Canaan for 60 smooth, flat years. Have you ever lived any place for 60 years? Some of you, I know you have. I haven't. I told the kids, you know, and by the way, I am 64 years old. I didn't want to tell them that because I didn't want anybody to hold it against me. 
I counted it up. We've lived in 18 different places since I was born that I know of. Donna and I, you know, we spent eight years in the Navy. During those eight years, we moved across country eight different, or excuse me, five different times. Five times. And in those five times, we lived in seven different houses, I think. I mean, I've never lived in one. In fact, the house that I live in right now, I've lived in longer than any place I've ever lived in my entire life. We moved in that house and we came here in 2008 when we moved to Brazoria. I've lived in that same house for 15 and a half years. I've never lived any place that long. Here's, here's Abraham. He's been in the land of Canaan for 60 years and he says, hey, I'm just temporary here. <laughs> I'm just passing through. I'm just, a, I'm just a, a, an alien. And then he said, what, well, what was the deal with him? So the next verse, verse 14 says, now those who say such things, and Abraham was the one who said it, those who say such things are clear. They're seeking a homeland. I want a home. I know I need a home. I desire a home. Everybody desires a home. He said, but this place is not my home. Now remember, home is the final destination. It's where you end up, regardless of what trip you take, you end up at home. It's the final place And Abraham said, this place is not my final destination. I've lived here for 60 years. I'm not going to live here forever. This is not my final destination. So what kind of home was he looking at? What about Ur of the Chaldees? Remember, he had come from there. Maybe he should go back. In fact, when Sarah died, I wonder if he wasn't tempted to go, you know, I think I just need to go home. But in the next verse, verse 15, it explains that. It says, if they or he were thinking about where he came from, then they would have had opportunity to return. He had come from that great city of Ur. He could have gone back at that point. Anytime he could have said, you know what, I'm going to go home. Where's home? Ur of the Cal, that's where I came from. That's where I'm going back to. But that wasn't his home. Where he had been, where he had come from or where he was at, it was not his home. What was he looking for? So it says down in verse 16, (coughs) he said, but they now desire a better place they're looking for something better i mean for for abraham as good as canaan was as great as ur the chaldee was and maybe all those places were wonderful and great he said that's not my home that's not where i belong that's not my final destination beloved this is what i want you to get this world is not your final destination so don't get too comfortable here And you know what? This world is a beautiful place. It's a wonderful place. God has given us a wonderful world to live in. I I sing that song, what a wonderful world, right? It's true. I've had the privilege of traveling different parts of this country and traveling different parts of the world. There's beauty everywhere you go. A couple of months ago, Don and I were in uh, Albuquerque. There's beauty in the desert. There's beauty even down on the coast of Texas. Wherever you go, there's beautiful things. We love going to the mountains. There's so much majesty and beauty in in the mountains. But, you know, wherever you go, there is beauty. God has given us a wonderful world to live in. And this country, I'll tell you, I've had the opportunity to go to different places in this world. There is no place in this world like the good old U.S. of A. And then the greatest state, I'll just go ahead and unashamedly tell you, it's Texas. I've been to almost every state. And it's not everyone, but a lot of them. And there's no place like Texas. 
And, you know, even Brazoria, when I cross that, um, uh, when I cross the bridge over there and I, I see those, um, uh, those beautiful um, uh, mobile homes as you come in, you know, the, the great mobile home park there with the weeds growing up and everything. I mean, yeah, it, it's beautiful. And, you know, when I get home and all my stuff at home, I tell you, we, you know, we have a beautiful home. We love it. And, uh, you know, there'll be some people who look at it and say that place is a dump. But you know what? It's our home. We love it. But, you know, I realize that one of these days they're going to gather up all my stuff and they're going to give it to somebody else. Kids are going to come take it. They're going to sell it, send it off to the dump. I mean, whatever. Because all the stuff I have is just temporary Somebody else is going to move into that home at some point, and it's going to be their home. And I'll either have to go somewhere else or do something else. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it's going to work. But, but you know, the further along I go, the more I realize that there is nothing in this world that is permanent. And why do I hang on to it so dearly? You know, um, the very first place I ever preached was a, was a little church called Ryrie, Idaho. We I was still in the Navy. We were, uh, uh, our church in Idaho Falls, Calvary Baptist Church, had five different mission churches, five preaching points, and one of them was in Ryrie, Idaho. 500, there's 500 people lived in Ryrie. It was a little farming community, 98% Mormon, and there was one little Baptist church. And the first Sunday we went there, there was me, Donna, our two kids, and three ladies. My family was, we, we, we basically doubled attendance. And then some, you know, on that Sunday. And uh, first place I ever preached there in Ryrie. And one of those ladies' husband, she asked me if I'd come visit him because he was lost and he needed Jesus. And he was messed up and everything. And so I went by and he was older and he, and he was sick. I, I don't remember exactly what was going on with him, but he never got up while I was there. It, it probably wasn't too long for this world. I don't remember. But I went by and sat down and got to know him a little bit and shared the gospel with him. We talked about it. And and he finally said, and I'll never forget this. He said, well, you know, preacher, he said, uh, I believe that when we get to the end of this life, we're going to look back and we're going to realize how really good we had it and how wonderful this world was and how great it was and everything else. And I agreed with him. I said, you know, that's right. I, I believe that. I mean, it's a beautiful world and, and we're going to look back and we're going to think about how wonderful it is. But I said, you know, we're still going to have to keep going because you're not going to be able to go back. We might wish that we could. I wish that I could go back and be, you know, a young person again or a kid again or 29 again or whatever. It's not happening. You know, we don't go that way. We go this way. And so regardless of how far I go in this world, I'm going to have to keep going. I'm going to have to take that next step one way or another. And so here was a man, and he was probably staring off into eternity, but he couldn't keep his gaze off of this back here. He had absolutely nothing to look forward to and really didn't want to because the world in which he lived was just really wonderful. It was really great. But at some point, and I don't know what happened to this old boy, at some point he, his heart quit beating and he breathed his last and then he stepped into eternity and there's something else there. This place is not your home. And that's the point is just this. Don't get too attached to this world. The Bible teaches this over and over again, a couple of verses. 1 Peter 2, 11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. 
He's talking to the people of God, walking through this world by faith. He said, you're a stranger in exile. He says, abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. One, uh, 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the world is just embracing the things of this world so tightly that you just can't let them go. Is it a wonderful world we live in? Yes. Has God blessed us with all these wonderful things? Yes. With a beautiful world? Yes, yes, yes. But this world is not your home. Remember that. Here's the second thing. Not only is this world not your home, but there is an eternal home prepared for you, or you could call it a permanent home. There is an eternal, permanent home that is prepared for you. And what we're talking about here is heaven. Is heaven a real place? Yes. It's not just pie in the sky by and by. It's not just happy thoughts. There really is a heaven. You see this in verse 16. Notice this is what they were looking for. He says, they now desire a better place, a heavenly uh, a heavenly one or a heavenly home. And what we're talking about here is heaven. Now, you might ask the question, well, what exactly is heaven? Well, first of all, I want you to notice that it says they were looking for this heavenly one. It says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He has prepared. Now, watch this. God is preparing this place. I think about, you know, the Lord Jesus in John chapter 14. Not before he was crucified, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or places or rooms. He says, I'm going there to do what? Prepare a place for you. See, God is preparing a place. The Lord Jesus has gone to prepare a place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, It is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor human heart has conceived, God has prepared. Watch this, done deal. God has prepared these things for those who love him. Now, I want you to notice, I, I, it, it says here, you can't even begin to imagine what heaven's going to be like. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, you haven't even entered into the mind of man. So I'm not going to sit here and try to describe heaven for you. We could do that, but I'm not going to do that. I think the point I'd just like for you to see here is, number one, that God is preparing it. And God don't make no junk. And whatever God does, it is good and right. And I tell you what, it's going to be, did you notice he said he's looking forward to a better place? The beautiful world in which we live, I really think like that one guy said, is going to be like a garbage dump compared to what God is preparing for us. As beautiful as this thing is, listen, God's got a whole lot more. He's got a better, he's got a better place. And he's preparing this place for you. And notice he says he's preparing a city. And I got to thinking about that. I wonder why he said, in the last part of verse 16, he has prepared a city for them. Remember who we're talking about here, though. We're talking about Abraham. And you know, that whole time that Abraham lived there in the land of Canaan, he lived in a tent. He never lived in a permanent house. 
He had come from a city, or the Chaldees, and archaeologists tell us that, that that was one of the great cities of Abraham's day. It was massive. It was incredible. And, you know, the thing about a city like that is it's got walls around it. There's protection there. And uh, that's where the king lives. It says God has prepared a city. I wonder what he meant by that. You know, if you go to the 21st chapter of Revelation, and I'm not going to read it to you, but I'm going to encourage you maybe this afternoon if you want to know a little bit more about heaven, what it looks like, what it's going to be like. Go see what John the Revelator saw in 21st chapter. He says he saw, uh, he saw the new city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This prepared for God's people. It's a cube, 1,500 miles that way, 1,500 miles that way, 1,500 miles that way. And evidently, it's got streets of gold and all this stuff. I mean, you know, these, these, these words, he tries to describe it uh, to us in ways that we might be able to, you know, understand. And I think words begin to fail at some point. But then he says, oh, and by the way, there's no temple there. There's no temple? Why not? Because the Lord God lives there. You don't, you're not going to have to go to church to worship God. You don't have to go someplace. He dwells among it. The king lives in the city. The king. Oh, and then he says, by the way, there's no sun and moon that needs to shine anymore, and there's no artificial light. We've got all kinds of artificial light in here just so we can see one another. You're not going to have light in that city. Why not? Because the Lord God gives the light. He is the city or is in the city. So watch this. In heaven, whatever it's like. And again, I wouldn't even begin to try to describe heaven for us today. I just want you to know this. That's where God is. No more separation. Eternally in the presence of God, connected to God. And beloved, this is your permanent home. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, the apostle Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. And that is a present tense citizenship. It's now. Your citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait from the Savior for there. This is the right now, not yet. We haven't received it yet. But one day we're going to, child of God, man of faith, woman of faith, as you continue on, one day, he says, We eagerly wait for the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus. He's going to come again to take us to where he is. There we we may be also. Verse 21, he will transform the body. So not only is this place a place to dwell physically, but a place to dwell physically, right? So we have this new body, this old body that decays away and returns to the dust. A brand new body, never grow old, never get sick, never die. Imperishable, immortal is what Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. This is your final destination. This is home. The Lord Jesus has gone there to prepare a place for you. God has prepared a place, a home, an eternal home, a permanent home. Call it heaven. Call it whatever you like. This is the final destination of every child of God. Okay? Third thing. Without Jesus, you're homeless. Without Jesus, you're homeless. Again, I would point out to you just how devastating homelessness is. And some of us here may have been without a home at some point. Everybody desires a home. Everybody deserves a home. Without Jesus, you're homeless. Look back down at verse 16. 
He says, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, who's, who's the there he's talking about there? He's talking about Abraham and Sarah, all the people of faith. All those who claim to be children of God and they walk with him by faith, God says, I'll identify myself with you. I'm not ashamed to be called your God. I'm not ashamed for you uh, to be called my child. See, there's a connection there. There's an identification there. There is a, um, uh, there is a relationship there, I guess you would. Remember back in verse 6, and, and, uh, because how does all this come? How does this relationship come? Just one way, back in verse 6, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That is, without faith, God is ashamed of you. God does not claim you. With faith, God claims you. By faith or in faith, you're a child of God. You're walking in faith, living in faith. God's not ashamed. Apart from faith or without faith, God says, you're not mine. Now listen, if, if you're not his, so that he has not prepared a place for you, you have no place, what does that mean? Homeless. Someone who has no place is homeless. Now, what are we talking about here? Well, the opposite of heaven is hell. So if you have a place in Jesus, and that place is heaven, if you have no place apart from Jesus, that place is hell. You say, Brother Greg, is hell a real place? Yes, it is. Created for the devil and his angels, not created for you. But you can go there if you want to. By the way, it's a desolate place. If heaven is a city in which the king resides, hell, and again, I wouldn't even try to describe hell, what it's like, but hell is a desolate place where there is no king or where you are alone, a desolate, lonely place. Can you imagine for eternity, eternity, not just separated from God, separated from everything and everyone. Because in my life, I chose to reject the heaven that God has prepared for me, to reject the Jesus by faith who gave himself for me. This is the only way I can go to hell. I've got to choose it. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take it to myself. How do I come to Jesus? Just one way, by faith. This Beloved, there is a destiny for everybody. You're headed one place or another. It's one or the other. That's just the reality. And the question is, am I walking by faith? Is God ashamed of me or not? In Luke chapter 9, verse 26, the Bible says, whoever is ashamed of me, and this is the Lord Jesus speaking, he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels, Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. In other words, not ashamed of me, I'm not ashamed of you. Ashamed of me? And how do I become ashamed of God? By just denying him, rejecting him. I don't want to have anything to do with him. I'm going to live my life apart from him. Whether you're an atheist, a practical atheist, you can call yourself whatever it is. If God has no uh, point or purpose or place in your life and you don't relate to him through Christ Jesus, then there's no place for you except eternal separation. That's hell, beloved. That's hell. And in this world that we're all traveling through, we're all traveling to another destination. The question 
that everybody faces is what's going to be my destination. In Christ, I've got a home in heaven. Apart from Christ, no home, no hope. And my question to each one of us today would be, have you come to this Jesus by faith? Have you trusted him? Have you put your faith in him? What does that mean? I have to admit that I'm a sinner, that I can't do this on my own, that I've tried to live my life on my own terms and my own way. It hasn't worked. It's not working. It doesn't work. And there's only one hope for me, and that one hope is Jesus. You know, the Bible says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know that Jesus died for you? One of the greatest understandings or thoughts you'll ever have is that it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, that Jesus died for you, which means there is complete and perfect forgiveness and life in Jesus. And you just come by faith. Just come by faith. Somebody reminded me this past week that, you know, my dad used to say that, uh, and he said it around here some, that uh, when we get to heaven, we're going to be amazed at how easy it was to get there. You know, it really is not difficult at all. Is it admit that I'm a sinner and receive God's grace, repent of my sin, and by faith turn to Jesus. And, you know, the question that sooner or later we've all got to ask ourselves, we've all got to face because regardless of how well we live or how long we live or whatever, we come to that end, we're going to have to take that next step. Every one of us are going to face eternity one way or another. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. That is, everybody's going to die. Then the judgment. Then the judgment. And what is the judgment going to be? What did you do with Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? There's an eternal home being prepared for you in Christ Jesus, but there's only one way to get there and to receive that home, that permanent place, and that's by faith in Christ Jesus. Have you given him your life? There's a, there was a couple who served as missionaries to Africa for many years. This was back at the turn of the, the 19th century. They, they went there in the eight, late 1800s, and they served there for 20, 30 years. And they came home. Uh, their health was broken. They were discouraged. They were basically penniless. They had spent all this time serving on the mission field. And, and now they were coming home uh, for one final time. Coming back to the United States, they got on a ship and made the trip across the Atlantic. But on this same ship, uh, and this was back in the early 1900s, Teddy Roosevelt, who had been the former president of the United States, was also on that ship. He had been to Africa uh, big game hunting. He had killed an elephant or something like that. And there was all kinds of fanfare when he got on the ship and they had all these kind of parties. And here this old couple, you know, they just they watched all this and they just felt some resentment, you know. I mean, they were thinking, look, we spent all this time serving God in Africa, you know, and here we are with broken health and everything else. And we just shared the gospel and nobody's celebrating us. And here is this, you know, here's this guy. He killed an elephant and everybody can't get over that, you know. And uh, when they pulled into uh, New York Harbor, there was a band waiting on the, uh, uh, on the pier to uh, welcome the ex-president as he came back from his big game hunting trip and all the newspapers there and everything. They had this big, you know, celebration and everything. Teddy Roosevelt coming home after killing an elephant, you know. And here's this young couple. They just kind of walk, or this old couple, they walk down the gangplank by themselves and... Uh, uh, just really depressed and dejected, went and found a little flat where they spent the night in. And, and uh, you know, this old missionary couple, man, they were just discouraged. And, 
And the man said, I, you know, I don't understand this. Why is it like this? You know, here, you know, here we've served, we come home, you know, nobody to welcome us, nobody to celebrate what we did. And here's this old boy who kills an elephant, and they're coming home, and he celebrates everything. What is that all about? He said, I don't understand it. And he was even mad at God. And his wife said, well, you probably need to go pray about that. So he did. He went in. Uh, to the other room, and he got down on his knees. He just poured his heart out to God. He was really upset with God and mad at God and everything. Told him how unfair it was and everything else. And after about 30 minutes or so, he came out, and his whole countenance had changed. And she said, well, did you, did you pray it out? Did you figure it out? And he said, yeah, I did. He said, I prayed, and God spoke to me. And I told him how unfair it was and everything and how Teddy Roosevelt came and got all this, came home and all this stuff, and we didn't get anything. And she said, what did the Lord say to you? He said, well, the Lord said to me, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Just wait. You're not home yet. Well, beloved, you're not home yet. Do you have a permanent home? Do you know Jesus? You're looking for a home. This, that's, what the, that's what the Scripture says. This is not my home. As wonderful and great it is. Praise God. Thank you, God, for everything. But I'm looking for more because I got my eyes on the prize. See, that's the whole point. Or are you just trying to muddle through till the end and then maybe, maybe, you know, you'll have a, comfortable coffin what what are you looking for everybody's headed somewhere child of god you're headed home not there yet how are you going to get there by faith faith to the end faith that doesn't quit don't give up on jesus don't give up on your faith we're all heading home father i would pray for you today i, I would ask you lord that that you would help us to understand that there really is no place like home and that you are preparing and providing for us right now uh, just this wonderful place. But we're not there yet. And so until then, we've got to keep on going by faith. God, would you strengthen our faith today? Lord, may we respond to you by faith. And God, I know there may be somebody sitting here this morning that has never, that has never come to you and repented of sin and turned to you and, and found that eternal life, that eternal home in Jesus. God, I pray today that as your grace flows freely through this place, Lord, we might respond to your word and God, by faith, find home. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.